Welcome to Fire Talk Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit, with subjects on eternity and the choices we make that determine our eternal destiny. Hello, welcome everyone to Fire Talk Radio. I'm so glad you joined us tonight, whatever time zone you're listening into. Now, we might be having some technical difficulties. I sounded a little bit choppy there on the introduction. So, um, tonight is the the Bible study of Dr. Frank Summer. I'm so excited that we're continu- that he's continuing and that tonight in the book of Daniel or whatever the Holy Spirit has laid on his heart. I'm very looking forward to that. Dr. Frank Summer is a general in the, in the army of the of the of God, and he's been in the ministry over fifty years. And he has he has a love for people, passion for souls, and and uh, with no further ado, Dr. Frank Summer, you uh, take your liberty in the Holy Ghost. Thank you so much. We're glad to join you tonight and cause the blessings of heaven to come your way, and cause the good things of God to be part of yours right now. We are teaching from the book of Daniel. We're currently now in the eighth chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel only has 12 chapters, but one of the interesting things about Daniel is the time sequence all the way from 616 B.C. all the way down through to the end where Jesus Christ comes back with his saints. There's no other book like it. So the very forecast of the book of Daniel takes us from 616 B.C., before Christ, all the way to the time where he's coming with his saints. That is an amazing, amazing situation. Not only that, but we need to understand that this book is vital to the Christian growth, that we need to read the book of Daniel, that everything he has to say here is so important. We will see things. And currently what we've been teaching about that, what we're going to do, we're going to hit just a little bit about talking about what we're talking about specifically and how that Israel was taken into Babylon for 70 years because of their disobedience to God and the direction of Sabbath. Because they weren't keeping the Sabbath correctly and God said, okay, I'm going to allow another nation to come and to take you over. And that incarcerated Israel at that point in time. They took them out of Israel and brought them into Babylon. And... uh, it's interesting, all the book having to do, it's the domination of two empires, the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire. It's the 27th book in the Bible. It has 12 chapters, 357 verses. And as it deals with, in particular, the seven-year suffrage bondage to Babylon and to Persia. So Daniel is one of the most exciting books in the Bible, not only the Old Testament, but the entire Bible. So it shows that even that when Jesus comes back with his saints, there's no other book like it. He's coming back with his saints, meaning that even, uh, you know, after the rapture church, all the way back to the time of the second coming, where he comes with his saints coming to conquer and take over the Antichrist. That's what we're talking about. So as we look at this and understand uh, what happened, how Daniel was taken and how the favor of God was on him and how the blessing of the Lord was upon he and the young men that he brought and that he brought God into the situation, how that Babylon had no knowledge of God Jehovah. They had many other gods. 
And these other gods were directing their focus. Their focus was askewed because they were not following truth. Anytime we follow truth, the Bible says the truth shall make you free. That's what our nation needs today. We need a baptism of truth. We need the truth of God to rise up inside of our hearts and lives as we read the word of God, that it becomes part of us. And that word that comes on the inside will give us direction. If we will do that, then God, I'm telling you what he's going to do. He's going to bless you in such a mighty way. So as we look through it, as Daniel starts in there, He's already chosen. His young men are chosen. They come before the king, and uh, they're asked to receive the the very food that is offered to idols. And Daniel said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to take the meat offered to the idols. No, we're going to take the wine that's offered to the idols. We will not do that. And so <clears throat> by that, in fact, he said, here's what we'll do. We're going to take vegetables. We're going to drink water. And in 10 days, you check us out. And in 10 days later, they were better than all the other ones. All, all, A-L-L. And so they stayed with that diet, realizing that the meat and also the wine were dedicated to the gods of Babylon. Now, as we follow through this, it's so important, so so powerful, that what happens through this, how that the qualifications were demanded by the king. They had to be a prince. They had to be young. They had to be without any blemish. They had to be intelligent. They had to be ready to proclaim. and They had to have refinement. They had to be open to understand the sciences of that day, well-educated, knowledgeable. There were three, eight things that they had to be acquainted with. And then finally, when they took them into Babylon, the first thing they did is change your name. Now, I'm here to tell you that the enemy has got a name for you. He might call you sick. He might call you poor. He might call you a person that's vacillating. He might call you that. But God calls you blessed. God calls you that you are the righteous. <laughs> Hallelujah. He calls you that you are the blessed person. You're not the cursed person. He calls you healed. He calls you saved. He calls you delivered. My, 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 my. What God calls us, outshines anything and everything the enemy tries to do. So what they tried to do in Babylon is change their names. And while they were changing their names, thinking they could change their direction and all of these other situations. So Daniel's name was Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. They changed their names. And if you would actually see what they called them in that language, it was totally different. It was all having to do with their God, their God, their God. But soon they were going to see God Jehovah in action because we find in chapter 3 that that this king has a real ego problem and he makes a tremendous idol at 70 feet in the air and the idols of himself and he commands everybody to bow down at the idol and they're supposed to do that and if they don't do that then they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace well these Hebrew men said king we don't care what you got to do we don't know if our God's going to deliver us or not but we will not bow no matter what you do we will not bow we will not bend so they were determined They had good instruction coming from Daniel. Daniel was their teacher, 
They follow the instructions of Daniel. They follow the instructions of the word of God. Therefore, that's how they were promoted. And so here came the contest. They wouldn't bow. They said, okay, there's three out there that won't bow. He said, okay. He was so angry. The Bible says that his visage changed. His very facial went into contortions. He was so angry. He said, heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. So they did. They heated up that furnace seven times hotter than it ever had been. And the men that threw in the Hebrew children died. That's how hot it was. And they were wrapped up, thrown in there. And just in a few minutes, aha, even Nebuchadnezzar, his knees started having fellowship with one another. And they were banging together. Because as he looked inside the fiery furnace, they could see the fourth man. And I'm here to declare to you when you're in a problem, when you're in a need, when you're in distress, whatever kind of problem you had, the fourth man's going to join you. And his name is Jesus, the son of the living God. And so he looked in there. He said, what is like the gods? We know who it was. It was Jesus. And seeing that, he pulled them out. You know, the only thing that was burned on them, their hair was not singed. Their clothes were not burned. The only thing that burned on the Hebrew children were the entanglements of the enemy, the ropes that had, they had put on. They burned off. But none of their body parts was hurt or damaged. And they didn't even smell like smoke. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. God's got a smoke screen. He's got a big one out there. He can take care of you no matter what kind of situation or problem or whatever comes our way. Our God is able to do that. And so when that happened, the king said, wait a minute here. Your God's a little stronger than our God. So what we're going to do, we're going to listen to what you have to say. And he did for a while. You find that over there talking about how that he did love God for a while, but then he changed his mind. He changed his mind. He went back to what he originally agreed. And so the sad thing about it, you know, we're going kind of quickly on this, and so when I have titled some of these, one of these chapters I would title, The Offenders of God's Law. The first offender of God's law was Satan. You find this in Isaiah chapter 14. You find it in Ezekiel chapter 28. You find that the proximity of heaven and the perception of injury, having to do with the fact with Adam and Eve and all those things, and the pride of his heart. In those three areas, that's exactly what happened. Then you have Adam and Eve, how they disobeyed God. You have Cain that killed Abel. You have the flood. Sin brought that destruction. In Genesis 19, you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have Pharaoh. From the time of Joseph to the time of Moses, Pharaoh said, wait a minute here. I'm not going to bow the knee to a God I can't see and know anything about. Finally, the plates came. Finally, got taken out. And if you read that whole area of that arena of truth, you will find out that Pharaoh lost his life dealing with God Almighty. So we have a marvelous situation showing you what God can do and what he will do. In the fourth chapter, having to do with the fact of what happened to, because uh, this man, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he encountered God's judgment of sin of pride. And this is what happened. And uh, really, God was taking him to the woodshed. But it didn't last that long. 
And notice what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 to 37. It says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. What do you mean? He was insane for seven years. Took on the form of an animal. And by the dew of heaven, seven years had passed. He lost his mind. He was eating grass. He lived outside. He had nothing having to do with the human race. And God brought him back. And so he said, at the end of time, I never can ever lift up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praise and honor him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. He does nothing according to his will. In the army of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand and say to him, what have I done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and the glory of my kingdom, my honor, splendor, returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, whose works are truth, his ways are justice, and those that walk in pride he's able to put down. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. So we have people who've been in violation of the kingdom of God, violation of the truth of God. You know, America has had so much teaching, had so many preachers, have so many churches, they can get it by radio, get it by television, get it by Internet. Any day or time you have a preacher on somewhere, preaching is being done now. So the words that we hear, we shall be responsible for those words. And so we, as a country, we need revival. We need our hearts to turn around. We need the Spirit of God to move inside of us. And that we would bow our knee before Almighty God and we say, oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And mean it from your heart. And not to have crocodile tears, but to reach out to God Almighty. Say, God, save our land. Save my neighbor. Save my family. Save all those that are close to me. Save them, oh, God. Save them, save them, save them. And if we would pray that particular prayer, God will hear and answer our prayer. Oh, my, 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 my. We're going to see it happen. We will see it happen. Because I know that in the last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And that is happening right now. We're seeing it happening all over the world that God's power, his presence, his glory, his majesty is being seen everywhere. And we know that God is doing so many powerful, glorious things in the earth today. But we, as a country, we have to bow our knees. Before him. We have to serve him in every part of our being. That's what God wants. Now, it's an amazing thing that it really doesn't say that his son, it says later on, it talks about Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was the one that had his knees coming together. Because here's what he did. He came to Israel. He came to the Holy Land. And he went in and he stole the golden vessels which were used for communion. He touched the holy things of God. We have people today that that have merchandised the anointing. You're very dangerous ground. You you cannot merchandise the anointing. And so what has happened here, this wicked king came and took all of them, 
all the silver and all the gold and all the vessels and all the things that used for worship and brought them back to have a party with them there in Babylon. And uh, notice what happened here. All the things of God. God said this is going to happen, that's going to happen, the other's going to happen, and they had totally disrespected God Almighty. It confirmed the very fact and the knowledge that that Babylon's destiny was destroyed. They would not follow God Almighty. They had to follow their own dream. They had to follow their own way. Now, it tells us all the way through. Notice in Daniel chapter 5, it said the finger of the hands were sent from him, and the writing was written. And in the inscription was written on the wall. Meaning, meaning, sickle, you far sin. Here is the interpretation. Daniel had the interpretation. Each word had a meaning. Meaning that God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tickle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You ask the question, when did that happen? It happened that very night. That's how fast. When God writes an epitaph, he has the whole story. He has the whole story. Now, if we go back through our history here in America, we will find that we had godly men that would serve the Lord with every part of their being. They served the Lord in prayer. They served the Lord by giving to others. They served the Lord in their environment. They served the Lord in regard to the political aspirations they had. Everything about them, they served the Lord. Uh, we as a nation, we have to come back to serving the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our being. We must come to that point in time. And we, we see and we hear and we know so many people that are not serving the Lord. They say, oh, this is, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. We're doing fine. We're doing well. You know. That is so idiotic, because when you see signs, you better find out what the signs are about. Even in the signs of the sun and the stars and the moon, these signs that God's trying to get us awakened to the fact that his son is going to come back. At the moment you think not, his son can arrive. And so all the way back in the Babylonian Empire, God crushed them, but he gave them one final message and that was the confirmation and so when they brought all their lords and all the women and all the people they brought them before and they were drinking out of the holy vessels that's when God said that's enough that's enough you see there is a line that you can cross and you can't come back across and that's a line that God wrote in the wall and that's why he started writing in the wall and telling them that they were going to be destroyed but, but I believe in revival. I believe God can turn this nation around. I believe that God has praying people, have people who have fasted, who have prayed, who have called on his name, that, that have raced out to Almighty God and said, God, forgive our land, forgive our sin. Lord, touch it by your power, your spirit. God, turn us around. Turn our hearts around. Turn our lives around. Oh, God, please, Lord, please. And the tears would just pour from their face and their eyes and reaching out to God. I was reading a, a very interesting book several years ago talking about the life of Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a lawyer. He had practiced. He was just getting ready. He was ready to uh, join that group of men. And so, but he had a tug in his heart. He wanted God. He wanted God. He didn't want anyone to know that he prayed so loud. So he went away from the city. 
But he crossed over the hill. He got to the other side. And on the other side of the hill, God met him. God met him and started changing his life, started changing his mindset. And he called on God. He cried out to God. He released himself to God. And when he came back to town, everybody looked at him and said, is that the same Charles Finney that left? No, it wasn't, because he had met with God, and God changed his direction. My, 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 my. Read the story of Charles Finney, very powerful man of God. We have other men and women of God today that have reached out and touched the hem of his garment and, and has, that, you know, God has been moving inside of our hearts and lives. Uh, some, some even from the time their little children have reached out reached out to Almighty God and reached out to touch him to cause the blessing of the Lord to move in and through. It's a wonderful thing. It's our God. It's our God who does amazing things. We give him praise. We give him glory. We give him honor. But as we see these things that are happening, then we ought to be awakened. The Bible says awake to righteousness and sin not. That's what it tells us to do. And so all the way through, the ways that God was speaking, he was speaking through a dream, he was speaking through a vision, he was speaking through the year and the thumbing, he was speaking all the time, and he's still speaking today. But now the way God speaks to us today is through his word. They do not have the word right in front of their face, but we do. We have the word of God that teaches us, that helps us, encourages us, and causes the good things of heaven to come our way, and that we will be blessed and anointed by the power of the Spirit. So after this happened, that very night, that very night, verse 30 of chapter 5, in that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans was slain. Then a new man came in. His name was uh, Darius. He came in that very night. And then notice what happened here. He gave all these things. He started having a party. He had his concubines in there, his wives in there, that they would drink from those vessels. In verse 4 of chapter 5, it says, And what did they do? They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Now, what had, he was hosting a great feast in honor of 1,000 of his lords. So, this is possibly Nebuchadnezzar was the grandfather of Belshazzar. So, this is who it was. See, there are no words in Chaldean to correspond with grandfather. So, he was drinking with his thousand lords in his drunken stupor. He commanded these golden vessels to be brought from the temple of Jerusalem that bring in and let's have a party. And those princes drank and they touched it to their God. But in the same hour they did that. <laughs> what do I call that? I call that a divine interruption. <laughs> A divine interruption was taking place. And God said, wait a minute here, you can't do that. You can't do that with my vessels. I don't permit you to do so. And so as the handwriting was on the wall, the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Verse 6, the king's countenance changed. I mean, everything about him changed. His thoughts troubled him. The joints of his hips were loose. His knees started knocking together. The king cried aloud to bring in. Now, what did he do first? He didn't call for Daniel first. He called for the astrologers. He called for the Chaldeans. He called for the soothsayers. And the king spoke to the wise man of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing tells me interpretation. can be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck. Third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came. They could not read the writing and make known to the king the interpretation. 
And then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. The Lord was astonished. During the course of this wild, crazy party, suddenly there was an appearance of the fingers of a man's hand in the lampstand on the wall. And the fingers began to write, meaning, meaning, took your parson. The kings and all of the lords and all of those people were so terrified, they didn't know what to do. None of the wise men could read it. But they had forgotten a man. That man was Daniel. Finally, they started speaking among themselves. They said, well, let's get Daniel. Daniel knows how to interpret dreams. Let's get him. And so Daniel came. They said, oh, king, you take all the stuff you have, keep it. I don't even want it. And so the queen actually was the one who said that. The queen knew something about the past history. And so she was articulating and coming before the king. said, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Let's call for Daniel. He said, there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God lives. <laughs> you ready for that? That's not bad. She was a preacher right then. There's a man in the kingdom who's the holy God. Not an unholy God, but a God who made heaven and earth. The God who sees us today. The God that knows us today. The God that knows your address. The God that knows everything about you. That God we're the one talking about. Out of the days of your father, your grandfather, light and understanding with wisdom. But the wisdom of the gods were found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, made him the chief of magicians, astrologers, Chaldean, soothsayer. In much as he has an excellent spirit, in interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas that were found that King Belshazzar let us go. So he will give us this interpretation. And Daniel was brought before the king and he said, Are you Daniel, the one who we brought captive out of Judah, who my grandfather brought from Judah? He said, I've heard of you, the Spirit of God's in you, that you have light and understanding and excellent wisdom, you're found. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before they should read the writing, and they, and they can't do it. But I've heard of you, that you can give the interpretation, and you can explain the situation, that you can read the writing and make known to us. You can have purple, clothes with purple, gold chain around your neck, and third rule in the kingdom. Daniel said before him, said, let your gifts be for yourself, give your reward to another. But I will read the writing of the king, make known unto him the interpretation. O king, most high, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, a kingdom, a majesty, and glory, and honor. And because of the majesty, he gave all the people, the nations, the languages, trembled and feared before him. And uh, all these things that he did. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took the glory from him. And then, now we just read this a little bit a while ago, he was actually lost his mind for seven years. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast. His dwelling was like with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven. Until he knew the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomsoever he chooses. But you... The grandson, Belshazzar, have you have not humbled your heart? Although you knew all about this, you decided to put it on the back burner. And then you have lifted up yourself against the Lord God of heaven. And you brought the vessels of his house before you. Your wives, your lords, your concubines, you drunk wine with them. And you have placed the gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and stone, and which see not, 
nor hear or know. The God that holds your breath in his hands owns all your ways, and you have not glorified him. That very night, Belshazzar the king, he was slain. And Darius Hamid received the kingdom, being about 62 years young. All right? So this queen knew all about that. She was even a daughter or a daughter-in-law to make an edge. But she knew all about this. She knew about Daniel, knew about these things. And so when these things start happening, meaning, meaning, particularly your farson, that's there, all of that. So Belshazzar probably thought the catastrophe could be averted if he treated Daniel real nice. But that night, the prophecy was fulfilled. Well, here's a whole situation. Trying to make a deal with God. Ugh. How many are trying today to negotiate with Almighty God? It's not the word negotiates, it's consecrate. We need to consecrate before Him, not negotiate. God will not be trifled with. He's God, the most high kind. He is God, Almighty. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's about ready to take over in a wonderful, glorious way that he's doing right now. So all this has passed by. And then we come to it in the chapter 6. We find that Daniel, he's really having a great time. He's blessed him. But the only way that these princes can get him out of the way is to do something about his God. If they can get the king mad about the fact is that you're not listening to this God thing, and the whole thing has to revolve around that. After he was slain, the Darius and me received the kingdom. He was 62 years young. And so when all that took place, when all that did, so there's 120 princes. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, actually the word is satraps. Well, anyway, they're called princes. That's what they are. Over the whole kingdoms. And these are governors whom Daniel set up. They, they would give an account to him so the king would permit no loss. So Daniel distinguished himself above all these governors because the excellent spirit was in him. The king thought of setting him over the whole realm. And jealousy came in. That's what happened right there. Jealousy came in because he was such a faithful man. There was no error or fault found in him. And finally they said, we, the only way we can find a fault about Daniel is to find it about his God. And so they contrived. They put something together and said, okay. Because this king has such an ego, what we're going to do, we're going to say that nobody can pray to any name of any God, anything, and he can't say anything like 30 days. And the king said, wow, that sounds pretty good. So he signed it. And the reason it, it was the law of the Medes of the Persians, because they baked their laws. They could not be taken back. They had no eraser. They had to bake their laws. So they baked their laws, and they said, you know what that means? That means it's done. It's a done deal. So they did this malicious plot against Daniel, and you find that all the way through the sixth chapter. And so finally, King Darius, he signed it. He signed it. Now, when Daniel heard about it, what? No, he didn't say, woe is me. He didn't pray that kind of prayer. He said, okay, God, it's time for you to show up. And this is the way I say it. If you show up, then God will show off. <laughs> if you show up, God will show off. He will show his majesty, his glory, his blessing, his anointing, everything he has there. He's going to do it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's going to do it. And so when it started happening, what did he do? He went right back in his house. 
he opened up his windows, and he did the same thing he did before. He knelt down, opened up the windows, and prayed as loud as he could pray, as his custom was. Ah. Finally, these men assembled from the end of praying, making supplication before Almighty God. And then they went to the king and said, Hey, king, you said that we have signed a decree. Any man who has petitioned of any god or man within 30 days except you shall be thrown into the den of lions. The king says, yeah, that thing is true according to the laws and the means of persons, which does not alter, does not change. And so they answer, saying, now that Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, does not show you any regard at all, and for, even for that decree that you have signed, and but makes that petition three times a day. And so the king heard these words. He was greatly displeased with himself, and he said his heart, he said, well, it's got to happen. Then these men approached the king and said, O king, do you know that the laws of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which king establishes may be changed? You know, like I told you before, they're baked in blame. So the governors assembled themselves before the king, and, and they purposed that the law was a trap for Daniel. They asked for a decree, who had signed the petition, and they did it, and they deceived the king. So uh, the king, he was flattered. Uh, Darius was flattered by signing the decree. He put a signature down there. He had a puffed-up ego. So well, here's what happened. So finally they took him, and uh, they had to do what they said they were going to do. So they took Daniel and threw him into the den of lions. But the king spoke and said, Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now that was a heathen king. But he believed in the God of Daniel. He believed so much that Daniel was going to come out of there. He was going to be all right. And so the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and his sleep went away from him. That means he had deep insomnia. He couldn't rest. He couldn't sleep. But what about Daniel? It doesn't say that about him at all. Here's my collection of that, or knowledge of that, is that he probably laid down. He said, oh, come, come over here, big boy. Talking to the lions, he said, put your paw right back here. He put your paw over here, and they surround me. I need a little warmth here. Why don't you get in a little closer? Let's have some fellowship. And he did that with the lions, bringing them in close to proximity to where he was, and let the lions get really close to him there. And they probably had bad breath, too. Anyway, they had pulled them in tight together and holding them real tight together and nice and warm and cozy and everything else. Oh, just like a big major blanket. And so while this was in procedure, I'm sure Daniel was snoring away. So the first thing in the morning, the king jumped out of bed. He ran down to where the den of lions was. He pulled that top of He had to pull the top of it off. He said, Daniel, it's your God. Is he able to save you from the lions? Daniel said, okay, king, it's all right. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. It's doing all right down here. <laughs> yeah, it's doing all right down here. And so... After the king, he didn't get any sleep. He probably had ulcers. He had all kinds of things going on. And he said, Daniel, the servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? He said, yeah, okay, that's cool. So he said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Also, O king, I've done nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. And the king was exceeding glad, and he commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den of lions. So Daniel was taken up. No injury was found on him. Why? Because he believed in his God. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. What a powerful statement. What a glorious statement. What a wonderful statement that he believed in his God. And the king commanded they brought those men and their families and their children, all of them, they, they put them in the same den of lions that Daniel was in. And the Bible tells us that even before they hit the ground, that the lions had already broken their bones and eaten them, broke all their bones in pieces even before they hit the bottom. Oh, then the king said, yeah, we we, we got to put something about this. Then King Darius said, to all people, nations, languages, live on the earth, be peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must trouble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, a steadfast forever. His kingdom, one, shall not be destroyed. His kingdom, his dominion, shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So, verse 28, Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel knew all the decrees that were signed. He knew all things were going to But the thing that he had the daily, daily habit of praying, and the princes found him guilty as charged in that division. But Darius loved Daniel. He tried to find a loophole, but there was no loophole. He was forced to do what he had to do. But Daniel's deliverance, even mentioned in the New Testament, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. There you go. So Daniel's deliverance came through the faith that he had in his God. All of his accusers suffered the fate which meant was meant for him. In Proverbs 11, verse 8, it says, The righteous, they are delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. So Darius wrote another decree, glorifying, blessing the name of Daniel's God. So the first two Gentile world empires were introduced to the glory and the power of almighty God. God's in control in every vision, in everything. Now, you come up to lessons, or uh, chapter 7. I know we're going to get to 8 before tonight, but anyway, having to do with the fact we had to get a little background. And so what you could do in your time off, you could compare Daniel 2 with Daniel 7. One of the things that you will see in this 7th chapter in Daniel 2, it's a comparison. For example, the image that was there in the plains of Dura, in Daniel chapter 2, the head was Babylon. That's what it looked like. The breast and the arms were the media Persian. They were silver. Having to do, they were inferior to the Babylonian Empire. Inferior where? In wealth, in power, in luxury, and influence. Then, of course, the bronze was Greece. In the belly of the thigh, they had a kingdom that was so different, and the domain was so great from Greece to India. Alexander the Great, at his death, his kingdom was divided between the four generals, and these generals took over Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Egypt. In Daniel 7, what we're looking at here, is the prophetic vision, talking about these prophetic beasts or animals. Notice that the lion with the wings is mentioned. 
Now, that is something entirely different. Then it talks about that, which was Babylon at that point in time. They've gone out. Then it talks about a bear. It talks about the Medo-Persian Empire, how they were ruthless, how they loved to spill blood, how they loved to kill and destroy and torture and all those things. Then the three ribs, you'll see that in that chapter, chapter 7, the three ribs by this bear coming talking about that in comparison with the Babylon Empire and Lydia in Egypt. These three ribs that was Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. The leopard, of course, was Greece because of the speed that it conquered with. Alexander the Great conquered so quickly that he would take his troops and even march them overnight. They were so surprised. The enemy was always so surprised because he could move with such speed. And that's why it mentions in the scripture that he is likened to a leopard, which has four wings or four heads. Talking about then it go to Rome, talking about the nondescript. The, Animal that talks about here, the nondescript. You find that in the seventh chapter. This is talking about the old Roman Empire having ten horns. And that, again, could speak to us of the European common market. The ten horns, talking about the nations. And Daniel 8 had to talk about the first time it's mentioned about the little horn, which is mentioned the fact he is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Now, the Bible tells us in the last days there are many Antichrists, but the major one talking about in Revelation, where the Antichrist will have a, a certain kind of way of putting a, a seal upon men. And he will seal them, either in their right hand or in their forehead. And uh, we, we can see that happen very quickly today because the technology we have is so, so expansive. can reach the whole world, and they have ways of doing that very quickly. Uh, I've, I've noticed that sometimes even in control, in situations, in control situations, you're talking about uh, maybe a building that's totally taken, you know, that, that has uh, the security that, that they will even have a camera that, that passes across the eyeball, your iris, in order to tell who you are. And that security will be done by that. So we have technology that far exceeds some of the things we've been talking about. But these things that we're talking about right here, Daniel saw by the Spirit of God. Oh, my, 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 my. By the spirit of the living God, he saw this. Now, notice what we said here. Now, look, look at Daniel, chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, saw the dreams of the vision while upon his bed he wrote down the dream, telling him the main facts, but he saw that. The vision was seen by Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar, and the book is not arranged chronologically. Now, that's where it is right there. It's not arranged chronologically as to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, like that. It's not arranged that way. So the six chapters are historic. The first six chapters are historic, and the last are prophetic. So you make a line and show one side is historic, the first six chapters, and the last chapters, the last six chapters, are prophetic. That's the historic and prophetic. Now, Daniel saw the four winds of heaven move over a great sea. Now, any time they're talking about a great sea, it's talking about a lot of people. A lot of people are not talking about water just necessarily. We're talking about people. He saw my vision that night, the four winds of heaven stirring up a great sea. And the four beasts that came out of the sea are different from the nondescript. The sea is always talking about the teeming masses of mankind. For example, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20, he said, the wicked, the wicked are like a troubled sea. They cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. 
Isaiah 57, verse 20. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 15. He said unto me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, multitude, nations, and tongues. Study that out in Revelation 17. So Daniel, as he was looking, saw this four beasts rise out of the sea. Well, Nebuchadnezzar saw the imposing power and the splendor of the times of the Gentiles all the way in chapter 2 to chapter 7. You see how they, they are really moved, like the one character of it, the Gentile world, government. And the other is warlike, established, maintained only by the force, the devious force of arms. So these four creatures coming from the sea. So one was like a lion, had eagle's wings, but they were plucked off. And it made to stand on two feet like a man, like a man's heart was given to it. So the first piece was like a lion and had eagle's wing. Now the lion's a king of the animal world. And then also the eagle is king among the birds. So the beast symbolizes and shows forth the Babylonian Empire. Remember the sign of a lion with the wings. Yeah, we see that. If you go in history books, you find it exactly, exactly which they have said about that in particular. At notice Daniel 7, 5. Suddenly there was another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth. And with its teeth, it said, Arise, devour much flesh. As he saw this thing, similar like a bear, it raised up itself on one side. It had three ribs. This beast symbolizes the Medo-Persian Empire. In fact, it was raised up on one side, which indicates that one part of the empire would be stronger than the other part. That's what we're talking about. In Daniel 7, again, it says this. The one like a leopard. It had four wings like a bird, like a beast. Four heads. Dominion was given to it. So this, again, was speaking about the Grecian Empire. That like Alexander the Great would move so quickly, and we just said the wings symbolize swiftness in the beast. It represents the Grecian Empire. Founded by Alexander the Great. And the four heads represented his generals, four generals. And the, the division of the empire was but with these four generals, as we just spoke a little while ago. The seeing all these things and putting these things together. So this thing was coming very quickly and very, very powerfully. And so after seeing these things, the Bible says Daniel was in a quandary. And he was really, you know, what about this? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? So, in that 8th chapter, so I know we did a fast review, but talking about the 8th chapter, it gets to talking about the Persian and the Greek world and having to do with the fact with Daniel 2 and the other ones all coming together. In Daniel 8, he says, So I came near and stood with thee, and I came and afraid, and I fell on my face. He said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the end of time. Now I was speaking with thee with the deep sleep, with my face to the ground, but he touched me and told me to stand up. And he said, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for the appointed time and the end. And the vision for the evening and morning was told is true. Seal up the vision, for it refers to many things in the future. Then he goes on to say, in Daniel 8 again, it said, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after the one appeared to me, it's the first time. So I saw in a vision what he was looking at. I was in the palace of Shushan. In the citadel, in the province of Elam, I saw in a vision by the river Uli. And he describes all the things that he saw at that point in time and say, God speaks with visions again. 
he speaks with dreams again, that I have had many dreams and have protected. I have prayed for people that I have seen in a dream. And I remember one young man I prayed for that I knew that destruction was headed, headed his way. And he was away from God. He was a backslider. And as I continued to pray for him, uh, a very powerful moving of the Spirit, and I would intercede for him, intercede for him, intercede for him. Finally, at the end of that time of intercession, several weeks, I went to the parents, and I told them, I said, I need to talk to him. May I talk to him? And so they consented, and he consented, and I said, son, listen to me. He said, the devil's been trying to take you out for the last two weeks. He broke down and cried. He said, you'll never know. I said, yeah, God knows. He had me pray for you. And he told me the different accidents that he was in. He told me how the people had threatened his life. He told about all the things that had happened in his life. And that night, he gave his heart to God. It was because of a dream and a vision. And that's going to happen greater and greater and greater. Now, <laughs> in, in regard to Karen's brother, it was amazing that we prayed a prayer. It might not have seemed sanctimonious, but it was this kind of prayer. It said, God scared the hell out of Daryl. His name was Daryl. <laughs> Daryl didn't know anything about the Word of God, nothing at all. He, in fact, he even called me Moses and thinking I was Noah. Because, you know, Noah, he was thinking Moses was on the ark, you know. That doesn't speak too well about not knowing, understanding that. But anyway, just a few, I guess maybe a week or more before he passed away, he uh, called my number, and I answered. I said, how you doing? And then he responded. He said, well, how are you, Moses? <laughs> he still didn't get it right. <laughs> he kept on calling me Moses. I said, tell me, what's going on? He said, I don't know if you believe this or not, Moses, but he said, I was on my couch. And I was taking my sleep on the couch. That's where he slept at. And... Uh, Oh, at about a little after midnight or so, a bright light came in the room. And the light announced himself to be Jesus. And Jesus showed me. Now, he was, had two tours in Vietnam. Showed me all the times I could have been killed. Showed me how many times I could have died. And Jesus said, I protected you, dear. I protected you. I protected you, dear. I saved you. I caused life to come to you. I caused blessing to come to you. I stopped the enemy. And guess what? I said, what? He said, when I fell off the couch, I had hell scared out of me. <laughs> I started laughing. Then I told him with the way we've been praying. He said, no wonder. So from the time we got there, we went up there to South Bend, and his lovely sister got to be with him one day. And while I was preaching on Sunday sometime after that message, we're on the way to Goshen. Uh, she gets a call from her other brother. He said, uh, he called her sis. He said, sis, our brother's gone now. He's passed. Showing you that God works really quick. We have to listen to his spirit at all times. All times. We have to listen to what God has to say and how he wants to direct our steps and to teach us, and to bring us. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. What I want you to do, you want some Bible study homework, read the 8th chapter of Daniel. 
Next week, we'll be dealing with something entirely different, but it will be the ninth chapter. And the ninth chapter, what we speak about is the vision of the 70 weeks, a very powerful, wonderful, glorious way. What we're going to do right now, brothers and sisters, if you have prepared yourself, we always prepare ourselves for communion. We have the wine, the grape juice, and we have the, the bread. And Sister Karen, my lovely wife, is going to help me. And as we present that, we trust yours is ready, ours is ready. And so, yeah, you can give me. <laughs> All right. Yes. Thank you, honey. She's right there helping me out because Brother Frank needs a lot of help. All right, here we go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible says a couple of times in the scripture having to do with the fact of communion. And one of the things that Jesus did, he had communion with his disciples. And uh, it, it's so wonderful and so beautiful that God has prepared this for us. And as we see correctly what God is doing. And the Bible tells us that the grape juice is symbolic of his blood. That the wafer that we take is symbolic of his body. You'll find this in the scripture many times. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians 11, and then you'll also find it in Matthew 26, verse 26. You can read that. But as we know exactly what it is, what I want you to do, I want you to take your bread, hold it in your hand. Hold this in your hand. This is symbolic of the body of Jesus, the wounds that he received in his body. Hold that bread. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you allowing your son the pain and the torture on the earth that how he was violated many times, how he was hurt many times, flagellation, all types of wounds upon the body of our Savior. And you did it for us, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. And according to Scripture, you are the living bread. And so we receive the living bread to our bodies, and we hold the wafer in our hand. We present it before you. That you're high and lifted up. You're high and lifted up. You're high and lifted up. And now we take this to our bodies, and we receive healing in Jesus' name. Shall we eat? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Then the Bible tells us that Jesus took the grape juice, the fruit of the vine. It's a type of his blood. We thank you, Lord, for what you did on Calvary. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you that our minds are free, our hearts are free, our bodies are free. Every part of this Constitution, we're free by the wonderful, powerful blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We give you all praise and glory and honor. And as we receive this symbolically, we receive it physically. We receive it spiritually. We thank you for what you're doing right now. Out of the name of Jesus, shall we drink together. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. That's why he said drink all of it. Drink all of it. Drink all of it. Glory to his precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm hearing that song in the back of my mind there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah. 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 It shall never suffer loss. An old song of the church. It's an old song of the church. So glad to be with you today. We're going to pray for all those that are sick in body. Put your hand where your sickness is. And we're going to command that sickness to leave your body in the name of Jesus. That his sweet presence will envelop you, will hold you tight. That you'll be wrapped up, tied up, tangled up with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the administrator. We thank you for what you've done, what you continue to do. And every sickness, every pain, every disease that's attached to the bodies of the people I'm speaking to right now, we command you to leave in the name of Jesus. The power of God will flow in and through you, and you will walk as a child of the King. If you're not saved, you'll bow your knee right now and say, Jesus, come in my heart and life. Forgive me of every sin. Cleanse me with your precious blood. I thank you for what you've done for me. If you pray that, according to Romans, by the speaking and by the receiving of your heart, by your heart confession, by your confession with the mouth, you are born again. (laughs) You are born again. That new life has come unto you. The power of the Spirit of the living God has visited and will stay as a habitation in your life. I bless each and every one listening right now. Whatever country you're listening from, wherever you are, in whatever city, whatever background in faith, bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for being with us right now. Sister Karen and myself, we agree that you are blessed. If you don't have any church to go to in the local area here, within 100 miles, you ought to come to the river. That's the best church around. I'm not prejudiced. I'm prejudiced all the way. All the way. It's a great church. Wonderful church. Great pastors. Dr. Pastor Rodney and Sister Donica, both pastors, they co-pastor together. And, yeah, but that's Rodney Hyde Brown, yes. Rodney Hyde Brown. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. God bless you. We'll see you next time.